0: We need 300 surveys to be statistically accurate. How many have not done the survey? Just raise your hand. Um, Just leave it up. Okay. Good, good, good. I think there's 10 of you. We need 10 more. Last week I said we needed 6 more. Actually, we needed 16 more. uh, And dyslexic. And uh, we got six. I asked for six. We got six today. I'm asking for ten. By faith, I'm claiming ten of you will do that survey, and it will be wonderful. We're going to get a report that is tailored to our church, and Joel Tyson will be here at our Volunteer Drive conference in October. So don't, uh, don't miss out. All right. If... Uh you're new here, just a reminder, you can find notes on your YouVersion Bible app. Click, uh, click more, click events, Circle Drive will come up. The notes are there. You can add to them, you can save them, you can share them. I think they're in your program this morning or just follow along on the screen behind me. I want to welcome those who are listening online. Glad that you are tuning in. Last week we were looking at uh, King David uh, as we're going through this series called Perspective. The idea is that our perspective affects life. How we view life, what we think, our emotions, all of those activities in our mind affect the outcome of our life. We make decisions because of the perspectives that we hold. Last week we looked at uh, King David And he made a decision, I think he acted out of fear, and it cost the lives of innocent people. David is saved from an unfortunate decision. He came to his senses and he went back to another priest and got God's direction for his life. But today we find David on the verge of another really unfortunate decision, which could make things worse for his life. And that's generally what happens once we're on a downward spiral. We tend to continue that spiral and make all kinds of decisions that are unfortunate. But fortunately for David, in the last minute, he is saved by a woman. And many men have been saved by a woman in the last minute, right? Men? That's right. That's why we marry, right? Okay, before we get to the story, you know the golden rule. The golden rule is do unto others as you would. Right. And this is a great uh, rule. Most of us grew up knowing this until we're mistreated. And when we're mistreated, we want to change the rule. Do unto others as they have done unto me especially if they hurt our family, if they hurt our loved ones. We want to retaliate. Now, there's a complicated thing that is going on. It's almost impossible to detect of yourself, but others will see it. They'll see it in you. When you are mistreated by someone that you cannot retaliate against, often you you retaliate against another person. And that person looks at you and says, what, like, why are you doing this to me? Uh, Because your, your mistreatment is being telegraphed. The truth is, when we feel powerless in one relationship or environment, we oftentimes compensate in another. I will take it out on you because I can't take it out on him or I can't take it out on her so we get this weird dynamic going on where we do to unto others as someone else has done unto you and then things get really complicated and here's the problem with this approach to life the problem with getting even is that it makes you even with somebody that you don't even like. Isn't that the case? You want to get even with someone you don't like. Why would you get even with someone you think you are better than? Why would you get even with someone who you think you are ahead of? If you try to get even with them, it just pulls you down to their level. Why would you want to become that kind of person? Now, you can uh, listen to the, the messages uh, online, cdac.ca/slash messages, to catch up on uh, where we've been with King David in the last couple weeks. But basically, David steps on to the pages of history at the age of 15. Didn't even have his learner's license, and he rolled up to the battlefield and he sees this situation between Goliath and the Israeli army and he's ticked off he wonders why no one will get this guy he's just a a uncircumcised person that is defying the armies of God and he takes a sling and he murders him and instantly David becomes a hero. And then David is invited into the king's family. He marries the the king's daughter, King Saul. And he becomes best friends with the king's son, Jonathan, who is now his brother-in-law. And King Saul is this weenie of a man. He has such difficulty with his own self-concept. He's insecure. And so he wants to kill he wants to kill David, and so he hunts David. And so we're picking up the story today where David is a fugitive for numbers of years. He's surrounded by a band of men, and he's try- trying to stay out of trouble and away from the enemy, which is the Philistines. And so we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 25, and beginning at verse 2. It says a certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. So in ancient times, this meant that this guy was wealthy. He was like the billionaire. He was on the Forbes list of the wealthiest men. Verse 3 says his name was Nabal. His wife's name was Abigail. Abigail, and she was intelligent and a beautiful woman. So here he is. He has a trophy wife, and she's also intelligent. And her husband was surely and mean in his dwelling, in his dealings, rather. In other words, he was a bully. He was a a pain to deal with. He was harsh and rude, and nobody liked this guy. His name meant fool. Verse 4 While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10,000 or 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. So just to understand the context, when it was shearing time, it was like harvest time for farmers. I mean, they're, they're putting the grain in the bin and they're calculating their net worth. They're looking at their balance sheet and it was a good time. They were in a good mood. And Nabal is richer than he thought. So it was kind of a time of partying and celebration over the fact that there was this great harvest of of wool coming in. Verse 6 says, Say to him, so David wanted his men to say to Nabal, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. David is saying, You know, I hope, you're blessed. I hope you're richer and you're in a good mood. Verse 7, now I hear that it is sheep-shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. The whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. So David's saying, part of the reason you have such a prophet is due to the fact That we protected your sheep. We didn't steal anything from you. We didn't take anything. So at any time, we could have stolen some of your sheep. You wouldn't have known it. And so he goes on in verse 8. Ask your own servants. They'll tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men since we come at a festive time. And then he makes the ask. He says, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. In other words, he's saying, since we were good to you, would you be good to us? Since we were kind to you, would you be kind to us? Since we didn't steal from you, would you share with us some of your profit? Verse 9, when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and they waited, and Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? this son of Jesse. Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. So he's saying, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know who sent you. This guy could be an outlaw. David could be a rogue fugitive. He's out of favor with the king. And I did not ask for protection. So why should I share my stuff with him? I don't owe him a dime. Nabal goes on. Why should I take my bread, my water, the meat I've slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back and they arrived and they reported every word. And now the music changes. And David looks at his men and he says, verse 13, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped on his own sword. And we'll get back to the story in a moment. But did you know that self-control is like a muscle? And it can wear out. And you can, you can and, and so is patience, by the way, and every other virtue that you can find, you can exercise it to get it stronger. But you have to find a rhythm in life you bear down and you exercise patience you exercise self-control but then you have to have some fun and you have to relax because you can't redline those emotions all the time those virtues all of the time there's a rhythm of life and if you don't find that you can wear this stuff out let me tell you I I'm telling you this from experience all right So it appears David's self-control muscle is worn out. And he's been on the run for several years living off the land instead of living in the palace where he rightfully belongs with his wife. He tried to do everything right, and he gets it wrong. Have you ever been there? You, you, You know, you're keeping your nose clean, and you get sidelined. You get sideswiped. And so he's trying not to side with the enemies of Israel, but Israel is not embracing David. And so maybe, just maybe, this is the last straw, and his frustration is getting telegraphed towards someone who doesn't deserve his wrath that he is about to unleash. And he says, strap on your sword." Let's go get this guy. We're kind to him. He hasn't been kind to us. Let's take him out. Now, you've heard that hurt people will hurt people. And here, this hunted person is hunting people. And so David is now hunting. And it says about 400 men went up with David, while 200 men stayed with the supplies. And you can imagine kind of the testosterone flowing as these guys are walking towards the enemy. And they're, you know, we're going to get this guy. And they're having this imaginary conversation. They're building up steam. And maybe David's just spitting in his beer. And, and the men are just worked up their frenzy. They're just ready to slaughter. We're going to take it out on these guys. Meanwhile. Verse 14, one of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. That's Nabal hurled insults at David. And again, one of Nabal's servants was there and saw it all happen, how David's men were super kind and super courteous and asked for a little kindness in return. And It says, verse 15, Yes, these men were very good to us. They didn't mistreat us. The whole time they were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were like a wall around us the whole time we were herding sheep near them. And and that would have been such a comfort to know you had this kind of uh, protection. And they confirm what David's servants were saying to Nabal was absolutely true. So the servants then say to Abigail, now I think it it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Have you ever worked for somebody like that? You know somebody like that? Such a wicked man, nobody can reason with him. And the text says, verse 18, Abigail acted quickly. And it records in detail what Abigail did. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five breast sheep, five says of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of pressed figs, a, uh, a partridge in a pear tree, and loaded them on the dockings. And she just put it all there. And she told her servants, go on ahead. I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Guess why? Because he's a jerk. Smart woman. Smart woman. And the story continues. Verse 20. She came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine. And the picture is that David is sneaking, snaking through the ravine between the mountains, and he's about to attack Nabal. And the men are all ready. They've got their swords, and they're just snaking through there. This was like desert storm, a surprise attack. And it says, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. And she meets up with David. He's all powered up and ready to loose loose his rage that's been building up, maybe since King Saul was making life miserable for David. And it says, and this is David, David had just said, It's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave one, leave alive one male, all of all who belong to him. Interesting. David brings God's name into this. This this is like a holy war. I mean, he's going to get the axis of evil. Right? God's on his side. These people deserve what I will unleash on them. They are evil, and I will get them. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey, bowed down before David with her face to the ground. Now, uh, this is a strange kind of text here for a wife of a wealthy, influential man to do this. Totally catches David off of guard. He was not expecting this and she begins to treat David uh, as if he were already the man that he hopes he will become. And she speaks to David's potential and is about to speak to his future and this is so powerful and this is what happened verse 24 she fell at his feet and said pardon your servant my lord and let me speak to you hear what your servant has to say now she's not his servant but she becomes subservient now Ladies, I am, I'm not making a one-to-one connection here for you to bow down to any man. I, I'm just, you know, in our culture, that would just be weird. But there's a parallel somewhere in this text, in our culture. And she continues. Verse 25. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to the wicked man Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means Fool. And folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. So she thoughtfully articulates something that David did not see. And she gives him a different perspective, a different way of looking at life. Now watch what she does here because it's brilliant. In verse 26, and now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands. So she's saying since, since God is intervening here and stopping you from this horrible vengeance, I'm sure she's kind of looking out the corner of her eye as she's talking to David, and she's seeing all the 400 guys just chomping at the bit. They're just ready. (laughs) They're ready to slide. Oh, they could just pull the trigger. And then she says, May your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. And then Abigail gives David credit for being a better man than he is in this moment. And and this is so powerful. She says, verse 28, please forgive your servant's presumption. And then she talks to David's uh, future. David, she's saying, God is up to something great in your life. God has a plan for your life. So don't screw it up. Don't make a decision that you will regret. And she says, the Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. And here's why. Because you fight the Lord's battles. The David, David's reputation was out there. And no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. She's saying, David, everybody knows that Saul is hunting you down. Everybody knows that you have a great future ahead of you and you fought the Lord's battle. So your, your perspective, one day, your perspective was you saw what no one else saw. You saw that, that we were God's people and he was our protector. And she says, even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. (laughs) And these are powerful words, and here's why. The language here, pocket of a sling, is used for a wallet or a purse. You would take something valuable like money and jewelry, and you would place it in a purse, wrap cords around it so it was bound secure, And the imagery suggests that even though someone is trying to steal your life, like the thief comes to steal the coin, it's tucked away in the pocket, in God's pocket, like your life is buried in the bottom of a woman's purse. Now, if I ask Bev for something and she says, it's in my purse, go get it. Men don't do it, right? Never go there. You know, I'll say to her, You know, where's the power drill? <laughs> where's the power drill? It's in my purse. I just get the purse, I bring it to her and let her because I never know what's in that thing. She knows, but that thing is buried safely always in the bottom of that purse. And here Abigail uses the imagery of the sling and suddenly David is transported back in time when he was completely dependent on God and did not take matters into his own hands. He came up against the giant with a sling and a faith in God and Abigail is saying, David, David, you're way better than this. Don't do it. In the next section, she basically asked David, When you become king and you look back to this day, what story do you want to tell? What's a story you want to tell when there's nothing left except a story? When you when you look back, what decision would you want? to have made. Whenever I'm in a quandary and trying to make a decision and I don't know which way to go, uh, Bev will always counsel me and say, "Okay, Alvin, five years from now, when you look back five years from now, what decision do you wish you would have made? What do you wish you would have done? And it gives you perspective for the long haul. And this is what Abigail was doing with David. Verse 30: When the Lord has fulfilled my Lord, every good thing he promised concerning him, and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience this staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. So she's saying, when you become king, you don't want a needless, guilty conscience. You don't want to say, I became king by avenging myself and slaughtering innocent people. And then she says, and when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. And suddenly David comes to his senses and David said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent me, you here to me today. May you be blessed for your good judgment and keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. You know, Abigail, you were so smart to bring to me food in this message. How did you know that a way to man's heart is through food and good looks? I mean, how did you know? Otherwise, as surely, verse 34, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. And David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. One smart lady. Now look what happens next. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of the king. He was high in spirits and very drunk. It was like spring break. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. And then in the morning when Nabal was sober and very hungover, his wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. And about ten days later, he died. The Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. And then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. And his servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. And they lived happily ever after. At least as happy as you can be if you are one of his sister wives. Now, we have three characters in the story and three responses. We have Nabal, who returns evil for good. And David took care of his stuff, but Nabal said, I will not share it with you. And then we have David, who is about to return evil for evil. And again, I don't fault David for this. This was part of the culture of that day. This is how you function back then. And then we have Abigail, who returned good for evil. So her character and her judgment and response is remarkable. It's way ahead of her time. During this time in history, the nation Israel was in a covenant with God. It was called the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. Some call it the obsolete covenant. And during that time, it was barbaric. It was an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. You repaid evil for evil. And back then it was okay. That's what you did. And no one would have thought David was overreacting. They were like, yeah, heck yeah, pull down your sword and get those guys. Take them out. That was acceptable in the world in which they lived. And Abigail, I pitch to you, is way ahead of her time. She's like in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. It's like when Jesus showed up, and Peter was with Jesus, and and Peter saw how, how Jesus functioned, though he was innocent, he was treated horribly. And they saw Jesus' response. When Jesus was on the cross, he prayed for his enemies. And Peter writes, reflecting on the life of Jesus, he writes this in 1 Peter 3, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil. Would you say to Peter, wait a minute, Peter, that's unnatural. And Peter would say, I know. Yeah. I know it's unnatural. But look at what they did, we'd say to Peter. Look at what they did. And he'd say, that's true but be compassionate and humble and don't repay evil for evil or insult for insult Peter not even on social media no no you don't on the contrary repay evil with blessing what yeah when insulted don't go don't ignore don't go neutral you go positive and you go to the blessing category. When they go low, you go high. Why? Peter says, Because to this you were called. To this you were called. He's talking to believers. Now, if you're not a believer here this morning, you're off the hook. You can insult for insult. Go on social media. But if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is what you are called to so that you may inherit a blessing. This is so strange. Then Peter quotes David from a thousand years earlier. When when David was older, he began to reflect and write. And there's a piece of, of literature that David wrote After the incident that we looked at last week when he was, you know, when he fled to Ahimelech the priest, and Psalm 34 talks about the fact that he was fearful and he was reacting. And Peter quotes this. And maybe David is reflecting and seeing the world differently. It's so New Testament-ish. And he he quotes from David in Psalm 34, and he says, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil, their lips from deceitful speech. Remember last week, David was lying the whole time to Ahimelech, and now he's saying, If you love life, see good days, you must keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace. And not only seek it, pursue peace, Peter says. He's writing to Christians, and not just Christians. These were believers who were being persecuted, burned at the stake. Some were homeless because they were persecuted for their faith. They were jobless because they lost their jobs on account of their faith. Where did Peter get these ideas? The answer is from watching Jesus. Perhaps he was remembering Jesus' sermon on the mount. Remember when Jesus said in Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I mean, that was the culture of the time. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus came to turn everything upside down. He refused to treat people in kind. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you have to refuse responding in kind. And it might be the most Christian thing that you would do. In fact, when you do, the reason is, verse 45, that you may be children of your heavenly Father. When you behave that way, people will look at you and say, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You are a child of the Heavenly Father. Well, I want to close and leave you with three questions to reflect this week. First of all, do I really want to be even with someone I don't like? You say, no. Then why would you do what they do? Do you want to be like the person you do not like? Would it be better instead, instead of being even, would it be better to be ahead? To be ahead. To pull ahead by refusing to get even. Second question, what story do you want to tell? I mean, that's the question that Abigail asked David. When you tell the story of becoming a king, David, do you want the story to be, I went around slaughtering innocent people? Now, whether you're a Christian or not, you should really ask this question because every event of your life becomes a story of your life. And if your story is, I got even and became like the person I did not like, is that a good story? That's so unremarkable. And The third question is, what would it look like for me to return good for evil? Now, this is a non-negotiable if you're a Jesus follower. This is actually Christianity 101. What would, it like, what would it look like for you to be a blessing to somebody who hurt you or who has offended you? What would that look like? The answer is not nothing. And the answer is not ignore. The answer is in the proactive range. It is actually something. To bless means to extend something they do not deserve, which is grace. It's grace. And if you are a Christian, that is how our story intersects with the story of salvation. And it's the best way of telling the story of your father in heaven who extends grace and generosity and compassion. Personally, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm not like you, maybe I'm the only one that struggles with this. Being in the position I am, everybody has an opinion of me. An opinion of what I say and opinion of what I do and and uh, some people just get fed up with me and leave and then say really harmful things about me it's part of the job that's why they pay me the big bucks but it used to really bother me really not so much anymore, but back then, it really ticked me. And I was getting bitter at some people, and now I wanted to pay back evil for evil. And one day God spoke to me and said, you know what you need to do? You need to phone him up this Christmas and wish him a Merry Christmas and tell him you hope You've been praying for them that you hope they are blessed this year. So if you got a phone call at Christmas time <laughs> So I did. I did. Long <laughs> no, Not really. Just a few a few calls every Christmas. And you know what it felt like? It felt like the poison was drained from my soul. And sometimes that's what it looks like to return good for evil. And yours might be more personal than that. And ultimately, and this is what God wants for you, It sets you free. Because when you return good for evil, you are not bound to the person who has mistreated you or controlled. And what Abigail Abigail tells us is, don't settle for even. Don't settle for predictable. Make it remarkable. Would you stand with me? Peter ends that section with verse 12 where he says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. As you go, what face do you want? you want God's face towards you or away from you, the choice is yours. Let's pray. God, thank you for this section that tells us how to handle difficult things in our life. I pray your Holy Spirit would touch all of us and instruct us and we would apply this to our own circumstances So as we leave this place, I'm so grateful that your spirit will go with us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to talk to somebody or pray with someone, there will be people available this morning. Hope to see you back next week.